Is your teen a queen bee or a wannabe? We sit down with Rosalind Wiseman to dive into the life of teenagers on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and greetings. Welcome to another edition of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Please, you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. Of course, thanks to not only you, but our partners, Live Happy Magazine. They've got issues on newsstands everywhere, wherever fine magazines are sold. If you're not the type of person that uh, frequents where fine magazines are sold, I bet you're the type of person that has an Android or Apple device, including an iPhone or a uh, Samsung or an HTC or whatever it is you crazy kids have these days. Either way, the digital edition of the Live Happy magazine is available to you as well in both the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. We encourage you to download it because it's uh, fantastic stuff uh, each and every issue. Well, one of the things that you told us when we did a survey of you back a few months ago was that you wanted to hear more about kids and parenting. And this episode is bringing you more of that. Rosalind Wiseman has had one job since graduating from college, helping communities shift the way we think about children and teens' emotional and physical well-being. She's the author of Queen Bees and Wannabes, helping your daughter survive clicks, gossip, boyfriends, and the new realities of girl world. Well, Rosalind, I, I thank you so much for joining us. This is something that I think, uh, even with the movie that's come out and sort of shed light on, on how the kids can act sometimes, I think this is a very important topic. But I, as I think back to my days in middle school, and it wasn't all that long ago, we didn't have all the technology. Like, text messaging was, like, new when I was in middle school mm-hmm. and high school. And I can think back to some of how the way the girls kind of acted and even the guys at times acted in those days. Not at all beneficial to really anybody. How much worse or maybe how much better, I guess, in what ways has technology changed for girls? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that it's it's not all negative. And I, so let's start with the positive. Um, young people can reach, they don't feel so isolated anymore. Mm-hmm. If you're in middle school and you feel like you're the only one who is, you know, into certain things or is feeling badly about something, you can find communities online that you would not have otherwise. Sure. And and that's important um, to not feel so isolated and alone. So, or just to be able to find like people that you have a creative um, parallel with and that you can share things that you're passionate about um, and join communities like that is really important for young people, especially if they're going to schools that do not celebrate what kids are passionate about. Yeah. So, and, and unfortunately, too, way too many of our, of our kids are in schools like that. So that's a positive. The second is positive is that, you know, although parents overdo this often, 
um, we can talk to our kids in ways that are sometimes easier than face-to-face. So when my kid, I have two boys, they're 13 and 15. If I'm having, if they've had a really bad day, um, and I know something about it, they haven't told me every single thing, but I know something about it. The next day, while they're at school, you know, I can text them like, hey, thinking of you. Now, I don't do it 15 times. I don't need right. to know every single thing that's going on in their life, but I can say, hey, thinking about you. And that's important for them to know that I'm just there for them in the back, usually invisible, you know, just caring about them. And so, you know, I've found that texting actually can be a really positive way to have deep conversations with your children. Sure. So, um, so I, but I also realize that young people, middle school, high school people, even elementary school students are consistently saying to me, my parents are constantly texting me during the school day. <laughs> and not only is that distracting to actually going to school, but it is way too much. And it doesn't, it really interferes. And the most important part is that if you, if you are constantly in your child's life, your child's going to shut down, right? And they're going to keep putting up walls and walls and walls. And that's really, it's really important. You want your kids to be able to talk to you when it matters. Right. But they do need that independence. I mean, that's where they start to sort of develop their wings before they can actually go out and fly. So you're right. I don't think that's something you've got to be very conscious of not doing too much. And I, I really do feel this, right? Like, then there's all different kinds of ways of doing it. I see it, like, my parents do this to me, actually, where <laughs> I get, you know, articles from my dad, like, links from my dad. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I really can only handle, like, once every two weeks, right? Yeah. So if you as the parent are getting links or things from people in your family and it's annoying you, I want you to think about it when you are doing that to your child. Like, this is something you really need to, to like, pay attention to. Just apply the same rule. But truly, the thing that I think that's been really clear to me in the last couple of years, and the reason why I keep redoing these books and I keep having young people talk to me and edit these books, is because it's never been more clear to me that parents can think that they are advocating on behalf of their child, and they can think and rationalize that they're doing things um, for the best of reasons. But the more you freak out and the more you get to a place of, I'm going to go down to that school or I'm going to go down to that coach or I'm going to go down. And you know, once you get that, that little tone in your voice and that little phrase in your voice, you, in your mind, you have lost your mind. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you go down to, to that place and your kids see you as freaking out. And even if it's for something that is you think is like helping them out, they look at that and say, My parent is freaking out. I'm not going to go to them when I need help for something. Because if they're freaking out about this, why would I go tell them about something else? Right. Unless, unless, and this is something that happens, your kid is manipulating you to bail them out. And if they know that you're going to bail them out of not, you know, if they've done something that they need to be disciplined, and they know that you're going to get them out of it or you're going to fuss so much that the school is just going to give up, then, yeah, your kid's going to manipulate it. They're going to like it when you come down to the school or go over to the coach. But it doesn't help them become functioning human beings that other people want to be around. Right. And I think that's also important to attend your parent-teacher conferences and, and have an open dialogue with your child's coach, that it's not an accusatory thing, that you don't only talk to them when you have a problem. You know, what What can my child do better? Or, or what are right. some things that they can do to improve so that you understand where they're coming from and you don't have that, well, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to speak to this coach and you're going to get the minutes and, and this principal is going to study. You know, that just makes the kid, uh, I, I think, especially if they're not manipulating you, uh, embarrassed and Optics are very important to a kid of middle school and high school age. 
Oh my gosh, absolutely. And can I would like parents to not be so fear. You know, we want our children to intervene when they see bullying, right? Like we're right. all about like what child sees bullying. We want them to intervene. Well, then we have to do it ourselves. When you see a parent or it can be any adult, but like you're on the sports. I was just talking to a parent today about this, that, you know, sixth grade group of girls that play soccer. And there's a guy who was being completely obnoxious on the field. I would like to think that we don't have to operate from a place of, oh, we're going to end up getting sued or, oh, it's going to end up like in the worst possible way that we're mature enough as adults to be able to go up to that guy and say, hey, I know you want what's best for our kids, but we but we you got to tone it down. You got, you know, yeah. we can do that. And even if the guy doesn't agree with you, right? Like, even if, if he, I mean, what do we seriously expect that guy to be like, oh my gosh, I have no idea that I was absolutely horrible. That's not oh, the only reason. The other part is that the kids see you and they see that you are standing up for what's right. And that is really, really, really profoundly meaningful for the coaches and the kids to see. Yeah, for sure. And then, and, and then they know that you're doing good work and you're not just there to, to embarrass or to whatever, totally. whatever their thought process in that moment might be. I, I think for girls, especially with the messages that are being thrown at them all the time from every different angle, I would imagine that today's young female going into middle school, going into high school, and with the advances of technology, is feeling a different pressure than maybe has ever been felt before. Is that something that you think is true, or is that a misconception? I think some girls feel that way. So I think that um, some girls, what Instagram has become like the poster of their perfect life, mm. and they are constantly curating their image online, just like some parents, frankly, do on Facebook. Sure. So if you, you know, if you look at parents in Facebook, they're putting up like my children got this fabulous award and they won this fabulous trophy and look at our fabulous vacation. And we are like, it's a picture of perfect fabulousness. And um, girls are really getting into that, into Instagram of um, looking at how many likes they get, being a barometer of how they feel and their social status. They're really, the, why would your daughter, for example, choose you know, 20 selfie, you know, to uh, she would take 20 selfies to choose one to put on Instagram is because she's worried that people are going to judge her. Mm. So, and people will judge her. And so I, I really want parents, I really want parents to understand the context in which Instagram can make you crazy and yeah. make you insecure and make you a mess. And so in some way, I mean, so it's, it's not just like, do you get Instagram or do you not get Instagram or is social media terrible or is it not? It's that every any time that your daughter is really focused on other people's approval um, of her and her appearance, it's going to social media exacerbates that problem and exacerbates that insecurity. I can fully see that because even people who are you know well into their twenties and thirties are still dealing with with that type of insecurity and and maybe it prolongs it as well. I think a thing that I've noticed with uh, I've got a much younger sister and a lot of her friends, and I even noticed it with my brothers and I noticed it with myself too. As they get to this age when they're dealing with a lot of this insecurity and they do want to be free, it becomes difficult to figure out what's wrong and in what ways you can you can constructively help what what are some of your tips for getting your daughter or son to to talk to you about what's going sure. on well i think ironically one of the ways that you do that is by recognizing that they have the right to their private life one of the biggest questions i get from parents is should i spy on their you know online lives 
And um, I really don't think you should unless there is like something that you truly believe is running off the rails. And then I think you should say to your kid, hey, I'm so worried about you that I'm thinking about doing that. But the other reality is, is that there's tons of kids who are really good at creating privacy in public spaces, like in social media, um, meaning it looks like they're sort of coded language, like in a, in, on Facebook or on Instagram. They're saying things that their friends understand, but nobody, including their parents, would understand. So what's what's important about that is you give your kid, you recognize that they have a private life and that they have the right to have their own lives. And you recognize that while you have been their age once, life is different for them and that they have a different life than you did. So you can say to your kid, hey, you know, I know you're going to fifth grade or boys or girls. I know you're going to fifth grade. I don't even care what grade it is, but you're going into fifth grade or seventh grade, whatever. And I know things can get maybe a little tough because conflict happens between people, even like best friends, especially best friends. And I know that, you know, I I was your age once, but it doesn't mean that I know what's going on with you. Mm -hmm. So I just want you to know that I'm here. And in that context, you then say, so whenever you want to talk to me, I'm here for you. And if you don't feel comfortable talking to me, I understand that because like I'm your mom, right? And your dad. So as you get older, that might be weird. So I just need to figure out with you who is somebody that you trust and I think is, you know, got their head in their shoulders that if you do feel overwhelmed that you can go talk to because it doesn't have to be me. The most important thing, though, is that, you know, you've got some backup. One thing that I think a lot of kids deal with is is finding their place and, and knowing where they fit into sort of an artificial high school hierarchy. And, and I think parents worry about that. You want your kid to be happy. You want your kid to have friends and, and be, be popular, but, but there's good popularity and bad popularity. Yeah. What, what would you say is the <laughs> definition of and difference between those two? Um, good popularity is that people like you because they genuinely like you. Right. <laughs> like they like having you around. Um, you're a nice person to be around. You know, it, it feels good to have you around. Um, bad popularity or evil popularity is that you're known. People know you, um, that you have high social status because you're known. And, um, and one of the ways in which you're known is unfortunately oftentimes with this kind of popularity is that you can be really controlling over other people or you Mm -hmm. can be really judgy of, you know, to other people and really exclusive. And boys and girls, by the way, can do that, you know, equally. But, um, I know that there's a lot of focus on what girls do, but, you know, I've worked with boys equally and boys can be pretty, pretty awesomely horrible at this as well. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) but you know, the thing that, the thing that I think for parents is it just, you know, like your kid could be different at school than they are at home. And Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe they're not, maybe, you know, but like I've sometimes, honestly, like I will admit, I have seen sometimes my children, like I've seen them when they didn't know and that my kids are, this isn't, this didn't happen to me like 10 years ago. This happened like two months ago where (laughs) I saw my older son like around some other kids and he was like boasting and it was so embarrassing. And I just, I just, I was about 20 feet away and I could sort of hear him because the acoustics unfortunately were good. And (laughs) I just was like, Oh my God, like why do people like him? Like I was just like, Oh my God. Oh my God, please stop talking. Like I was so embarrassed. And you know, that's going to happen. It's going to happen, but you can't like, as much as you want to, he, you know, one of the things that's really, really painful as a parent is that sometimes, and this is really counter, I think, to what parents feel and think is right. Um, and I understand why, because I certainly have had the experience. But sometimes peer rejection is a good thing. 
sometimes if your child is doing things like if they're five years old and they're biting, right? It's a classic five-year-old kindergarten thing. Yeah. If they're biting, what is the best, best thing, unfortunately, in some ways for, for that child for, you know, to happen to that kid? The other kids around him say, I want to be with you. You're yeah. horrible. Like, I don't want to be with you. You bite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then that and that kid responds by like has a decision to make based on it, of course, like appropriately, like how old they are and how much they can process. But if if it means that they're going to be rejected because they are doing something that is hurtful, then they sh- then it its rejection is unfortunately a very painful, but frankly, usually positive experience of learning that is way more powerful than a parent interrupting and saying, honey, don't bite, right? Or use your words. If, you know, peer rejection is powerful, powerful stuff. And it's very, it's very, very horrible and hurtful when kids are, you know, rejected for reasons because of like, you know, whether they fit in or not, or kids being mean to them and socially aggressive. And that's horrible. But when you're doing things that are hurtful to other people and you're getting rejected for it, I think that's a powerful lesson for kids to learn. Oh, absolutely. I, and I, I think my father and my mother would both agree that uh, the time period where I was sort of mouthy and mean to people that didn't deserve it, uh, that I, I got what was coming to me when a kid got exactly. tired of it and uh, decided to uh, uh, introduce his fist to my nose. I'm not encouraging <laughs> violence I'm just saying I had it coming and I recognize that now and it changed my outlook uh, for the rest of high school. So I I completely understand uh, what you're saying there. What can a parent do to figure out without jumping in, you know, and Mm -hmm. trying to hover over them as they have their social interactions? How can they figure out what role their child plays in their social circle? Mm. Well, you know, in Queen Bee's... um this is really actually, this is a really important question because the wording that I came up with with queen bees that a lot of people use, right? Like queen bees and bankers and pleasers and messengers. Um, I use labeling as a way to identify behavior, but nobody, especially like teenagers and children, nobody likes to be labeled. Nobody likes for their parent to say, you are this, right? Yeah. And it's very, but it's very easy to, and understandable for people to say, oh, that kid is that, and this kid is that. But what I want people to realize is, is that when we put labels on things, it's a way to understand behavior better. And also, and people can even take on labels that are sort of negative, like, oh, I act like, I act like a queen bee in this situation, Mm. or I act like a pleaser in this situation. And that's the, and getting to that point is really, really essential to being able to stop it to being able to say like, oh, this isn't working for me. Like people yeah. actually sort of, you know, like I can't, for example, with Queen Bees, they might look like they have a lot of friends, but they don't trust their friends because their friends actually don't like them. So, you know, they, so to get to a place of like, well, what kind of friend am I? And what kind of friends do I want? You've got to be able to recognize, well, what kind of role am I playing here? And so that means you can also take the label off whenever, when you are ready. So for parents, what I say to, I want people to really think about is, is that also a queen bee can be like a girl can act in that role in the neighborhood, but not at school or on her team. Um, she could be a pleaser, right? Usually, you know, queen bees, frankly, can can go be different roles in different places, but mm-hmm. it's all about power. And so what I would what I want parents to do is saying, look at, and, and I have girls read queen bees all the time that 
and parents and teachers do. Look at the labels and say, what feels right? For, better for better and for worse, what feels accurate to you? And what are the pros and cons? And so as a parent, what I, what I want you to do is like, try and look at your, look at your, your, your daughter in unscripted moments when she's just hanging out with her friends. Listen to her in the car when you're schlepping her around. Um, look at the way that she's posting things on social media because frankly, the way she posts things on social media gives you tremendous amounts of information about how she's presenting herself to the world and her friends. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, seeing those roles are really important, but I also want people to realize that, you know, roles can change. Um, And the last thing also that's really funny that has been, you know, Queen Bees has been out, the first edition came out 14 years ago, and the next one came out, second one came out in 2009, and then this one in 2016. And the one of the common things of now three generations of teenagers is that they have said consistently that parents are in denial about the roles that their daughters play. Yeah. Well, because everybody wants to believe that their kid is the good kid, and, and they're the sweet child, and uh, unless they have those yeah, moments guess, where they, they know. Messy. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, honestly, right? Kids are messy. My kids are messy. My kids yeah. can be awesome, and they can be completely horrible and intolerable sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, like, we're messy. All of us are messy people. And the more we get to that place, and also parents, I really want parents to hear that no matter where you send your child to school, no matter what neighborhood you're in, conflicts are going to happen, mm-hmm. and abusive power is going to happen. And you cannot go to a place, especially schools that say we have a zero-tolerance for bullying, if you hear that from a school, I think that school is a problem because it doesn't recognize that conflict happens and bullying happens and they cannot control every single thing. So when principals and administrators start talking to you in sound bites, you process it, hear it just like you hear a politician promising you something that you know is not true. So when they say we have a zero tolerance policy for bullying here, well, what in the world does that mean? And I was, so I really want parents to understand that conflict happens. It's usually in some way going both ways, not always, but usually. And you've got to be able, no matter what, no matter where your child is in this, you've got to help them navigate these conflicts so they can be socially competent people. And it's going to be messy and awful and it's going to be difficult, but your kid is going to learn how to manage these things through the process. And, and hopefully learn uh, eventually all the things that truly matter to them and allow them to grow into the selves that they're going to be for the rest of their lives, right? I mean, exactly. Exactly. The, the person the you are in high way. school, I hope, is not the person you are when you reach thirty. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope, but 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 it's the only way. Processing that messiness and being able to go through that, going through these moments. Um, you know, every time a parent rushes over to the school to fix the problem, you have now made it much harder for your child to grow into being a functioning human being so it's it's really important even and i i and i say this but i also at the same time empathize because man have i sat like you know in a chair just worrying about my kids so much and having you also when you don't get involved all the time it also shows that you have faith in your children that they can work this out on their own yeah so being able to say to your kid i know things might get tough and i'm going to be here if you need me um, I'm not going to be able to fix every problem for you, but I'm going to be able to help you think it through. Um, and when your child comes to you with a specific problem, you know, some combination of saying, like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Thank you for telling me because, like, I recognize you're taking, like, a risk telling your parent. Like, I, I appreciate the faith you're putting in me. 
And together we're going to think this through. We're going to think through something, think it through so that you've got a little bit more control over the situation. That's what your kids need. They don't need you to fix the problem. They just need, they do need you for comfort and they need you to calm themselves down so they can think through the problem in a way that they can feel ownership of, that they can feel proud. Absolutely. And get them started on that process so that they don't have to rely on other people to fight their battles. Uh, later on, yeah. which which unfortunately exactly. does continue for some folks. Well, Rosalind, oh my God. I would be fighting my children's battles for the rest of my oh my goodness gracious. Uh, no, yeah, uh, you really don't. <laughs> and nope, I still I do not. And I still see it with like twenty five year old. Oh my goodness, come on, how old are we? Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness, but there there's so much that we can discuss and go through that we did not. I feel like we didn't even really get time to to even scratch the surface. We'd love to have you on again to to talk about this more. But thank you so much Anytime. for joining us. And again, the book Queen Bees and wannabes helping your daughter survive clicks gossip boys uh-oh and the new realities of girl world thank you again for joining us and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon thank you great stuff to think about as we make our way here into the new school year well if you'd like a free sketch note of this episode more information is found at livehappynow.com you can get uh, back episodes sketch notes all kinds of stuff right there we encourage you to check it out while you are perusing the web. We also encourage you to reach out. Let us know what you learned. Let us know what you'd like to add. You can find us on Twitter at LiveHappy, Facebook.com slash LiveHappy, or podcast at LiveHappy.com. We really do want to hear from you each and every episode. That's going to do it for us this time. Thanks to Rosalind Wiseman and you for helping us live happy with Live Happy Now.